0: M S W Media. Thanks to StoryWorth for supporting the Daily Beans. Give all the dads in your life a meaningful gift you'll both cherish for years. Go to StoryWorth.com slash Daily Beans to get $10 off your first purchase. Daily <laughs> Welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, June 12, 2023. Today, Donald will appear for arraignment in Miami after the 38-count indictment by the DOJ is unsealed. Judge Eileen Cannon gets the documents case. A federal judge clears the way for disciplinary proceedings against Trump ally Jeffrey Clark. George Santos has filed his appeal to keep the names of the people who paid his bail a secret. The Department of Justice is investigating a Republican-led effort to infiltrate the DNC ahead of the 2020 election. And Chief Judge James Bosberg has unsealed the proceedings related to Pence's effort to quash the special counsel subpoena for his testimony. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hi, everybody. Happy Monday. I'm back from D.C. My voice sounds like a train wreck and I apologize in advance, but, you know, I can't stop making these shows. It's just the air quality was so bad. Because of the you know the climate crisis, the wildfires in Canada. When I was in D.C., I wore an N95 mask everywhere I went. I do that when I travel anyway, but this time just to be outside, walking around. So I, I do want to just apologize really quickly for uh, the quality of my voice. It also happened on that second bonus episode of the Jack Podcast. That was that's it's out now. It came out yesterday. We had two episodes come out yesterday because the first one was recorded before the indictment was unsealed. And we didn't think it was going to be unsealed until Tuesday at the arraignment, but it was. And so Andy and I got back on and recorded an episode where we went over the indictment after it was unsealed. And again, my voice was just battered up in the eastern seaboard this last trip. So again, I'm going to do my best to to sound smooth, smooth jazz for you. But if, you know, I just wanted to let you know, What's going on with my voice? Dana is out. She's still out. She's traveling today. She will be back. I miss her always. I miss you, Dana. If you're listening, if you're listening, I miss you. Get back home. All right. We have a lot of news to get to over the weekend besides the indictment that dropped. So I was very happy to be able to announce those federal charges on the 1000th episode of the Daily Beans. And I didn't realize it was the 1000th episode which is the one that came out on Friday until after I recorded it. So we're kind of celebrating it today. But that was a pretty monumental milestone, 1,000 episodes. We've been going for 200 weeks. This is week 201. And it just so happened on that 1,000th episode, I was able to announce federal charges from the Department of Justice against Donald Trump. Let's get into it. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. The former president will appear for his second arraignment this Tuesday. 3 p.m., Miami, this time for federal charges that were unsealed this past Friday. The 38-count indictment lays out the charges against Donald Trump and his valet, Walt Nauta, and it includes 31 counts under the Espionage Act, Title 18, Section 793E, and that's retention of national defense information. There's no dissemination charge here. That doesn't mean that this indictment couldn't in the future be superseded with dissemination, but it's not in here. It's just 793E retention or mishandling of national defense information. And it doesn't matter if the documents are classified because the the Espionage Act was written before our classification system was in place, just national defense information. So the the declassification defense is a red herring, which are the words that the 11th Circuit used to the Trump-appointed judges, by the way, on the very conservative 11th Circuit. There's also multiple counts of obstruction of justice and two false statements charges. Now, Andy and I break these down in detail. Like I said on that bonus episode of the Jack podcast that came out yesterday, there's two episodes. One leads up to and includes the announcement of the indictments, and the other one is going over the indictment itself. But I did want to go over some sentencing considerations here on this show. Lots of people seem to be stacking the 31 counts under the Espionage Act at 10 years apiece and saying that Donald could face up to 400 years maximum in prison. But according to Brandon Van Grack on Twitter, who worked on a Mueller investigation, has a lot of experience with sensitive document prosecutions, ended up leading the new FARA unit once it was, you know, uh, created at the Department of Justice. He's not there now, but that he, he was the first person to lead the new FARA unit after the Mueller probe. Those 31 counts, he says, will likely be grouped together, meaning he would likely face a 10 year max for all 31 counts together. 10 years. There will probably be a motion for upward consideration because of the number, the sheer number of documents, because, you know, Brandon Van Grack and many others have have said, you know, wow, it's usually two, three handful of documents that they prosecute people on. There are 31 documents in this case, and they're all, they have very high level of classification. So there'll probably be a motion for upward consideration in sentencing if he's convicted. We, We won't know until and unless he's convicted by a jury unanimously in West Palm Beach. And that's because of the number and the sensitivity of the documents. But I don't think they'll stack on top of each other. The obstruction charges will also likely be grouped together. Those carry a 20-year maximum. So you get 10 years for all 31 of the espionage violations, Espionage Act violations, 20 for all the obstruction, and another five for the false statements charge. So he's likely looking at a 35-year maximum. That's the maximum. And he won't be anywhere near the maximum. He's Believe it or not. He is not, at this point, a convicted felon, and I don't think the state charges, if he's convicted in New York or Atlanta, are going to hit before this is done, uh, if that makes any sense. I think this will go much faster. It also depends on a couple of things. But I also want to temper some expectations about the arraignment, which will be handled by Magistrate Judge Goodman. That's breaking news today on NBC on Sunday that it's not going to be Judge Reinhardt or Eileen Cannon that handles the arraignment, but Judge Goodman. And Trump is most certainly going to be granted bail. Okay. He will not have his mugshot released. There will be one taken. He will be fingerprinted, but he will not be handcuffed. Secret uh, service detail will just be escorting him. And he won't be sitting in a jail cell for four to five hours while waiting for his arraignment. I know some people were, have been Saying that. That's just not the case. We've got a statement out from the Secret Service. They're going to walk them in, walk them out, no cuffs. The judge will almost definitely not issue any kind of gag order. This is what happened in New York, right? Remember the judge in New York? No gag order, just very strong, you know, warnings about don't talk about this case publicly, et cetera. But generally don't get one right out of the gate. And because there weren't any dissemination of classified material charges, he's not really a threat to the public, at least from what's in the four corners of this particular indictment. This indictment seems to go real hard on just mishandling and retaining the classified documents and obstructing their return. That is what this indictment focuses on. It's very open and shut, even though it's there's a lot of counts here and a lot of highly sensitive classified documents. But there's not going to be a gag order. There's not going to be remand. He will be out on bail. And they, you know, they don't want to because of the first amendment rights for somebody running for president they they just aren't going to issue a gag order it's going to look a lot like new york did the arraignment in new york now judge eileen cannon the trump sycophant judge who appointed a special master in this case at the end of last year and made a series of rulings so absolutely incorrect and ridiculous that trump appointed judges on the very conservative 11th circuit overturned her rulings twice she was assigned this case randomly though the odds were considerably in her favor As explained by the clerk from the court in West Palm Beach, of the 10 judges there, three are senior status judges and only hear a certain number of cases per year, and they've all reached that number. So they're out of the mix. Of the remaining seven, one is only hearing cases out of Miami. So he's out of the mix. That takes that judge's name out of the hat. Of the six remaining, Middlebrooks, who is the judge that slapped Trump and Alina Habba with a million dollars in sanctions for his frivolous lawsuit against Hillary Clinton and 30 other people. For Middlebrooks, that judge takes half of his cases from Miami, which lowers his chances of getting the case in West Palm Beach. And Judge Eileen Cannon takes half of hers from West Palm Beach, which raises her chances of getting the case. What I don't know and what I hope somebody finds out is why Middlebrooks takes half his cases from Miami and why Cannon takes half her cases from West Palm Beach, where Donald Trump lives. Who set that up? Why is that the rule? So she's the judge, and short of her recusing, she will likely be the judge that hears this case. But it's important to note, last year in the special master case, she did not read the search warrant affidavit, which allowed her some plausible deniability when she made her ridiculous rulings. In this case, she will be read in on every single detail and document and everything. She will not be able to hide her head in the sand on this one. The Department of Justice could file a motion for her to recuse, but my gut feeling tells me that probably won't happen. Jack Smith seems to want to get this done fast and might forego that motion in the interest of a speedy trial. But Cannon could muck up the works with bad rulings on pretrial motions, including motions in limine, which are the motions that Trump's lawyers puts in to say, we don't think this evidence should be allowed in. And they'll say that they don't think the tape should be allowed in. They'll say they don't think the documents should be allowed. They'll make an argument that every major piece of evidence shouldn't be allowed in. And she could make a, a wacky ruling on that. And those decisions, if ridiculous and incorrect, could prompt an appeal from the Department of Justice, which would delay the proceedings. As with all things special counsel, Andy McCabe and I will follow her rulings and report them to you closely on the Jack podcast, along with our special counsel. Sometimes appropriate profane commentary. Now, on to the special counsel investigation into January 6th. Remember when Pence was subpoenaed by Jack Smith and he filed a motion to quash the entire subpoena because he said that his role on January 6th made him a legislator and he shouldn't have to testify at all because of the speech or debate clause. And we learned that Chief Judge Bosberg said that the speech or debate clause does apply to Pence, but that he would still have to answer some questions. And Pence took a victory lap, calling that a big old win. But I said, no, man, this ruling goes heavily in the favor of the Department of Justice. And I said, though, Pence won't appeal. Remember, I was like, I don't think he's going to appeal this. He got a little bit of a win. If he appeals this, a higher court could decide he doesn't have any speech or debate clause protections. So he's not going to risk that W. He's going to take it and he's going to run with it. He's going to take his teeny tiny win and run around the block like he beat the deep state. Well, that proceeding was just unsealed this weekend by Judge Bosberg, and I was right. Per the ruling, Pence lost every argument except two very narrow lines of questions that he can't be asked about. First, the judge held that the vice president is protected by the speech or debate clause when he's doing legislative stuff, and that's because the clause protects the act, not the actor. So based on that, the judge determined any conversations he had with Trump or any members of Congress where those other parties were trying to get him to do stuff that's either illegal or outside the scope of his duties that day, none of that shit is privileged. None of it's covered by speech or debate. In fact, nothing is except two very specific things, and that's Pence's prep for the remarks that he made at the beginning of the certification process. Those are the ones he amended. He worked with the parliamentarian to amend those remarks because he knew Trump was trying to get him to throw out votes. So he wanted to amend that. And I said, that sounds like a legislative act to me, working with the parliamentarian in the legislature to determine what speech you're going to give on the floor as a member of the legislature. So that cannot be asked about and a memo written for Pence by one of his lawyers, Greg Jacob, maybe, that outlined the limits of his duties that day. Because you remember, he went to he went to Dan Quayle and was like, can I overthrow this? No. So he went to one of his lawyers and said, write me up a memo that tells me what my limits are on this day. So I have it in writing. And one of them did. Now, the two things, these are two things that the special counsel really doesn't need. Because first of all, the law's on his side. It's all publicly reported. So We don't really need that. Everything else? Any crimes? Anyone trying to get him to break the law? He had to tell prosecutors about all of those discussions, including discussions with Republican members of Congress about voter fraud claims and requests to delay or overturn the certification. I did a whole thread about it on Twitter if you're interested in reading the ruling, but Pence got his ass handed to him this was the tiniest of little wins for him. And he paraded around like, I am the rule of law and I must, and I want, you know, it's no, man, you had to tell them pretty much everything they wanted to know. And that's going to be really important when charges come in the DOJ 16 investigation. That's separate from the one Fonnie Willis is cooking and is going to release in August down in Georgia. Next up, in huge Department of Justice news that got buried by the Trump indictment from Kara Scannell at CNN. Federal prosecutors are investigating conservative-backed efforts in Wyoming to infiltrate the DNC ahead of the 2020 election. That's according to people familiar. Prosecutors have subpoenaed Richard Seddon, a former British intelligence official, and Susan Gore, a Republican donor and heiress to the Gore-Tex fortune. And that's, as par- that's part of this investigation. Those subpoenas have gone out. The investigation appears to stem from a 2021 New York Times article citing interviews and documents detailing an undercover operation by conservatives to infiltrate progressive groups, political campaigns, and the offices of Democratic as well as moderate Republican elected officials during the 2020 election cycle. One of the subpoenas, which was sent in the past two weeks, seeks documents and communications from January 2018 through the present involving numerous limited liability companies and individuals, including Gore, Seddon, Eric Prince, the security contractor and brother of the former education secretary, Betsy DeVos, member Eric Prince, the Seychelles guy, the Blackwater fella, and James O'Keefe, the former head of Project Veritas. The people familiar with the investigation said prosecutors are looking into whether any campaign finance laws were violated. No one has been accused of any wrongdoing. The investigation is being handled by the Public Corruption Unit in the U.S. Attorney's Office in Washington, D.C that's a a spokeswoman for the office, said that it does not confirm or deny investigations. Now, Gore recently retained Nichols Gravante Jr., a New York defense attorney who previously represented Alan Weisselberg, the former chief financial officer of the Trump organization. We know Weisselberg cut a deal with prosecutors and testified at the tax fraud trial of the Trump org, resulting in a 17 felony count conviction. Gravante confirmed he represents Gore, but declined further comment. Seddon has retained Robert Driscoll, a well-connected D.C. attorney who's represented in numerous high-profile clients. Driscoll also declined to comment. Matthew Schwartz, a lawyer for Eric Prince, said, as far as we know, there are no federal criminal investigations involving my client whatsoever. An attorney for Project Veritas and James O'Keefe referred CNN to the company. Project Veritas and O'Keefe could not immediately be reached. According to the Times, he, he recently stepped down from Project Veritas, by the way, According to the Times, Seddon, working with Prince, secured funding from Gore by the end of 2018 to train activists to infiltrate political groups. Seddon, according to the Times, recruited former operatives from Project Veritas, where he previously worked. Remember that story about them training people at his ranch, at Eric Prince's ranch? The Times reported two operatives trained by Seddon pledged sizable political donations raising from $1,250 to $10,000. To Democratic organizations and candidates. Some of those donations gained the operatives and entry into fundraisers and even a Democratic primary debate in Las Vegas. They're infiltrating. It's not clear where the couple got the money to make the donations. It's illegal to use another person's name to make a political donation. It's called a straw donation. And prosecutors have brought numerous so called straw donor prosecutions in recent years. Sam Patton knows. Remember him? <laughs> Cled guilty in the Mueller investigation and has now written a letter to a judge begging uh, for the mercy of the court against his cousin, who was there January 6th. One of the subpoenas also seeks any communications involving the couple, as well as the individuals and organizations that received the money. All communications. I am definitely going to be asking Pete Strzok about this on Cleanup on All 45 this Wednesday. And from Scott McFarlane at CBS, Rep George Santos filed an eight-page appeal Friday seeking to keep sealed the names of those who helped him make his half-million-dollar bail. Remember, George Santos has been criminally indicted by this Department of Justice. Submitting the filing just before the noon deadline, Santos's lawyer argued that the people who've helped him post the bond would likely have to withdraw from serving as his bond supporters if their names are released. This, Santos says, could force him into pretrial detention or impose upon him onerous release conditions. The court filing includes a passage stating that Santos, quote, has essentially publicly revealed that the Sureters are family members and not lobbyists, donors, or others seeking to exert influence over the defendant. We should take Santos at his word, shouldn't we? He's got such a good track record about being honest. Santos' next court appearance is scheduled for June 30th, but the judge could rule on whether to release the unsealed records at any time. The federal judge in New York granted a request for media organizations to make public the identities of three people who signed the bond for Santos' release after his indictment, but said their names should remain hidden, for now, to allow him to appeal. The Consortium of Media Organizations sought the unsealing of the record, citing First Amendment and common law rights of access to the information. They're saying, look, if somebody's giving a gift to a U.S. congressman, the public has the right to know. Court filings show that the House Ethics Committee, which is also investigating Santos, has also requested the identities of the individuals who helped make bond. Santos's legal team has not provided the records of who helped assure his bond to the Ethics Committee. They haven't turned it over. If convicted, he faces up to twenty years in prison for the most serious charges. Again, we'll discuss this in depth on Cleanup on Isle forty five. And this is from Kyle Cheney at Politico. A federal judge has cleared the way for the DC Bar authorities to resume a long stalled disciplinary proceeding against Jeffrey Clark. You remember him? He was the guy that Trump wanted to install as the Attorney General. And Hirschman was like, you're going to be overseeing a graveyard because we'll all fucking quit if you put him in there. That Jeffrey Clark, the one who wrote the letter to seven states saying, we found election irregularities, so you need to send us an alternate slate of electors for Donald Trump. That guy. Clark, an assistant attorney in Trump's Justice Department, whom Trump considered naming acting attorney general amid his final frenzied bid to remain in power, has tied up those proceedings for nearly eight months because he wanted to transfer the battle to federal court. But U.S. District Court Judge Rudolph Contreras rejected Clark's effort on Thursday. He issued a 36-page opinion, concluding that the federal courts have no jurisdiction over disciplinary proceedings meant to be managed by the D.C. Bar and local courts. D.C. Bar authorities charged Clark in 2022 with engaging in dishonest conduct and seeking to seriously interfere with the administration of justice when he embarked on a weeks-long effort to help Trump sow doubt about the results of the 2020 election. In the weeks before Trump left office, Clark, then acting head of the Justice Department's Civil Division, spearheaded the drafting of that letter, urging state governments, as I said, in states won by Biden to reconvene their legislatures and revisit the results of their elections. And Clark continued pressing to issue the letter. And with the help of Rep. Scott Perry, who's had his phone seized by Merrick Garland a long time ago, caught the attention of Trump, who was prepared to make Clark the acting attorney general until a mass resignation threat, as I said. Clark's involvement in the episode has drawn intense scrutiny from federal prosecutors who raided his home a year ago, remember, he was out there in his underwear, and the January 6th Select Committee, which highlighted Clark's role in Trump's bid to subvert the election. In his legal filings, Clark contended the D.C. bar proceedings, which could result in his suspension or disbarment, are improper to bring against someone who worked as an attorney in the federal government. The District of Columbia, Clark contended, was specifically exempt from federal laws granting states the authority over bar discipline. But Contreras sharply rejected Clark's assessment of the history of these laws. Quote, to accept Mr. Clark's position would be to subscribe to the absurd proposition that Congress chose to make these officials subject to jurisdictional rules of professional conduct everywhere except where they work, that D.C. is home to by far the most government lawyers in the country only compounds this absurdity. You're fucking its so absurd, Jeffrey Clark. Contreras' ruling could kickstart a proceeding that has been used against other officials connected to Trump's bid to stay in power. D.C. bar authorities temporarily suspended Giuliani's law license after two weeks of proceedings and are due to make a final determination on his potential disbarment imminently. Now, I know how you feel about the word imminently, but that's what it says. California bar authorities are prepping to try John Eastman, architect of Trump's bid to derail the transfer of power in the next few weeks. So we've got a lot of these lawyers coming up for disbarment. But Clark has so far successfully stymied D.C.'s bar investigators' bid, filing suit in October. In his ruling, Contreras noted that the federal law itself, which was amended in 98, was rooted, in part, in Democrats' concerns about the conduct of then-independent counsel Ken Starr and his investigation of Bill Clinton. Quote, This context, including broad upset among President Clinton's supporters over a perception of prosecutorial overreach, affected Congress's consideration. He noted that Congress added the independent counsel to the jurisdiction of the D.C. bar authorities, which Contreras said underscored the fact that Congress intended those provisions to apply to lawyers working for the federal government. That was the whole point, bro. McClark Clark in his filings also argued that D.C. bar proceedings have features of both civil and criminal proceedings that can be legally redirected to federal court. But Contreras rejected that view as well, saying bar discipline proceedings are neither civil nor criminal and therefore not subject to the laws that provide for transferring cases out of the state. It's just a ridiculous filing, and Contreras just shot it down, the entire thing. So that's going forward. We'll keep an eye on that. We'll keep an eye on Rudy's findings, and we'll keep an eye on, on what's going on over here with Eastman in California. All seem pretty imminent. All right. We have uh, a lot of good news uh, that was sent in. If you have good news, you want to send it to us by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. And we will read the good news right after this quick break. Stick around. After these messages, will be Hey, everybody. It's AG. As you know, I love a good story, especially when it comes from my uncle, Uncle Elmer. One day he told me a story I'd never heard before and made me wonder how many other stories had I been missing out on. Luckily, I was introduced to StoryWorth. StoryWorth is offering $10 off your first purchase at storyworth.com slash dailybeans StoryWorth is an online service that helps you and your loved ones connect through sharing stories and memories, and then it preserves them for years to come in a beautiful book. Every week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question of your choice, Uh, From a vast pool of possible options, or you can create your own, each unique prompt asks questions you might have never thought of, like what matters to you most in life, or what's your favorite vacation, or who are your favorite musicians, what's your favorite childhood memory. I've really enjoyed reading my uncle's responses to these questions. I've discovered stories and memories I never heard about and learned new things about stories I thought I already knew. By the way, he's my like surrogate dad since, you know, I haven't had my dad with me in a while. So I love these stories from Uncle Elmer. Storyworth helped me learn that when Uncle Elmer was much younger, he used to play the guitar. He was in a band. It was like learning about a side of him I'd never seen before. It made us feel closer. And after one year, Storyworth compiles all those questions and stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that you can share with your family for generations. With Storyworth, the stories that shaped our family's history will not fade away, but instead become a timeless gift that we can enjoy again and again for many years to come. So give all the fathers in your life a meaningful gift that you can both cherish for years to come. Storyworth. Right now for a limited time you can save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com/dailybeans. That's S T O R Y W O R T H.com/dailybeans to save $10 on your first purchase. Everybody welcome back. It's time for the good news. Good Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, if you want to play What the Mutt or send me a frog orgy picture or send baby pictures to Dana, I also love the baby pictures. And I'm pretty sure Dana's cool with frogs. A uh, shout out to a loved one. If you don't have pod pet tax to pay, you can share an adoptable pet in your area. Give a shout out to your small business or a small business in your community that could use the support. Anything you want to send to us at all, you can do so at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. All right, first up a correction in the E. Jean Carroll defamation case. I have uh, referred to her motion. I've got a couple of these that were sent in. So I'm just going to let you know. I've referred to her motion to amend her complaint. Carol won after Donald continued to defame her in the CNN town hall. I've been referring to that as a second amended complaint. It's actually her first motion to amend her complaint. Don't know where I got that it was the second. We haven't heard the ruling on that motion yet. So it's not the second amended complaint. It's just the amended complaint. All right, next up from Jennifer, pronoun she and her. Good morning, Beans Queens. I have been meaning to email you for weeks, if not months, but the former guy's indictment seemed to be the perfect time. Holla fucking luya. When I moved into my empty nest loft late last year, I came across some of our signs from protesting in the summer of 2020. And I thought to myself, one day these signs will be in a museum. So I created my social justice wall, pictures attached. With last night's indictment, it's the perfect time to break out my stop hiding bunker bitch sign. And since it's Pride Month, we can also rock the Black Trans Lives Matter sign, too. The pictures between the two signs are various flicks from summer of 2020 protests with my ride or die middle child. I'm also sharing a picture of my baby. We know DG loves babies. Well, she's really not a baby, as you can see, but she's my, she is my grand finale. <laughs> the picture is um, her off to her junior prom. I can't believe my kids are all grown up. Finally, I can also pay my pod pet tax. In the past, I've shared pictures of my grand doggie. However, I became a dog mom in February of this year. I'm a tax accountant, so I really thought it was stupid to get a puppy in the middle of my most hectic time of the year, but in reality, it was the best thing I did. She forced me to get up and away from the desk to walk her every few hours, and you can guess her breed, but there's only one breed, so it's probably not too hard to guess. Happy Indictment Month. I look forward to this weekend's Jack episode. What a beautiful, sweet, sweet, beautiful Staffy! Look at this. Honey. Oh, you're a dog mom. That's so cool, Jennifer. And yeah, Boy, we did it. Long time coming, but we finally got that DOJ indictment. I'm still waiting for the January 6th indictments, but it's a very a uh, good feeling of justice, you know. And I know a lot of people are like, "It's a somber, it's sad for the nation." Yeah, it's fucking terrifying what he did, and it is somber what he did, and it is terrible what he did. Celebrating justice about what he did is not, in my view, a terrible thing. I think it's something to celebrate. Democracy and the rule of law, I think, are things that we can celebrate. Just my two cents. I understand if you feel differently. Nicholas, he, him. My partner and I are making a new addition to our family with a third puppy. Holy crap. We found a great organization in the Denver area called Moms and Mutts, where they take in pregnant and nursing dogs rather than euthanizing them before being born and find foster homes and organize adoption events every Saturday. We found our new pup, who will be ready to come home with us after growing a little with their mama, Please guess, little indigo maves, that's Indie Mae for short, breeds. Love the show. Happy to be a patron of all the good work you do at MSW. Oh, Oh, this looks like a Bernese water dog and a German shepherd. That's my guess. Let's see. What do we got? Basset hound husky? Oh, come on. (laughs) I was wrong on both counts, but what a sweet, sweet baby. That's what a basset hound husky looks like. How cool. What a great mix. All right, next up from Steve, pronouns he and him. Keep your spirits high and keep up the great work. Here's a picture of our cockatiel, Mercury, now 31 years old. Yeah, they live a long time. I've always been a dog person, yet when our now-grown daughter was in middle school, she wanted a bird. I never knew how smart birds are. Well, I knew about crows, but dot, dot, dot. As you may know, birds are the descendants of dinosaurs, and if the dinosaurs are anything at all like today's birds, the world must have been a very funny place. I like to think that too, right? Like one of my favorite exhibits over at the San Diego Zoo is the secretary bird, and that thing looks like a fucking dinosaur with just like cute little feathers on his noggin, and he is a riot. He is such a clown. Hi, sweet cockatiel baby, 31 years old. All right, next up from Denise W., Gritty Drama with a strong female lead. Love you AG and Dana. I'm happy every night when I get the daily beans in my inbox, sharing a photo of me chilling with my granddog, Rockefeller Wilson. He's a rescue from Austin Pets Alive and has been with us for 12 years. We have so much fun together. Oh, what a sweet baby. <gasps> I love cuddly dogs. Everyone's like dogs don't like hugs. I'm like, I disagree. I think a lot of dogs do. Like this one. All right, next up from BT, pronouns he and him. I'm a United Methodist pastor and I'm deep in the fight for inclusion. In the midst of disaffiliation, there are inclusive churches called Reconciling Congregations. If anyone is looking for an LGBTQ plus affirming church, they will find one in a Reconciling Congregation. Thank you for that, BT. That's really good information to have. Next up, Grumpy Boomer Randy. Pronouns he and him. Sounds like a Saturday Night Live character. Now it's time for Grumpy Boomer Randy. All right. Thanks both very much for your podcast. Current information nicely packaged in a way that doesn't lead to anxiety and rage is appreciated. Thank you. That's the whole point. Thank you, Randy. Love that. And I'll live longer. My good news is about a small group, four to seven people who care about pets and their humans. This is a small nonprofit veterinary hospital in Oregon that serves only low-income families and homeless people. Our hospital does from vaccines to full care and general surgery. Everything other than orthopedic surgery, because I hate doing it, and there are options. The founder, Julia, began around 15 years ago. And through three different buildings and after moves, she's kept it alive. And it ain't the money, honey. We're low cost, but not free. The people here are dedicated, and they all work like it, too. And the human owners are also a committed, devoted bunch. These people sometimes will save a big percent of their money for weeks sometimes, even to do the simplest things others would take for granted. That's love and commitment you can feel. And not to forget a few better-off angels who jump in and help tackle the really big problems. They're terrific and have helped save and treat a lot of very sick cats and dogs. The good news is that they encourage all the rest of us. Bless their hearts. I guess there are more good people than I thought. Happy trails and a pet photo. Thank you so much, Randy. That's so cool. I love those little organizations. They really do just so much, so much incredible and important work and I'm so glad that you're part of it. So I appreciate that, that post and, the, and that submission and, I, and thank you everyone for sending in your good news. Again, if you want to send us your good news, you can do that by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. Give a listen to both episodes of Jack that dropped yesterday. If you have questions for Andy and I that you want answered on the show, you can send those in at, at com and just put Jack in the subject line. And then we've got a lot of additional stuff, including this Eric Prince shit, to discuss uh, on Clean Up on Aisle 45 with my amazing co-host Pete Struck. I'm sure he will have some choice words for Mr. Prince. So everybody, thank you so much. I hope you had a great weekend. I promise my voice will be better soon. Until tomorrow, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q and bring someone with you.